Welcome back to Survivor at Home, the podcast where we are breaking down each episode of the TV show Survivor. This week is episode four, season 43. My name is Jordan. I'm here alongside my co-host, Andrew. But today we have a very special guest joining us and also for the first time, a guest who is a co-host from outside the Survivor at Home community. His name is Hartley Jaffine. And he is the creator of a survivor course at McMaster University, which is actually not far from where we're recording here in, uh, in Toronto. The course is titled Surviving Survivor Insights from Reality TV for Real Life. It, it sounds absolutely amazing. So we're excited to hear uh, a little bit about it today. Uh, as the name suggests, the class uses the show as a springboard to explore topics such as leadership, community building, the impact of representation, race, sex, gender, LGBTQ plus and more. So Hartley, welcome to the show. Jordan, Andrew, thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you on Hartley. Thank you for doing this. Oh, I'm really excited to, to break down this episode with you both tonight. So before we get into Surviving Survivor and the course, uh, we wanted to ask you, we ask a lot of our guests, especially the first time they come on, our co-hosts, the first time they come on, um, you, you told us you're a huge fan of Survivor. Tell us, how did you first get into the show? It started back in 2000. I was in my childhood home, flipping through channels, and all of a sudden caught the first immunity challenge where Sonia takes her fall and is dragged across the beach in quest for fire. And that moment just hooked me. I just watched the rest of the episode. And then back then, I don't even know how, but I eventually found the episode so I could rewatch it from the beginning and just was completely connected to the show and what the show is about and then have been watching ever since so you haven't missed one season i've missed there was a time where i would i missed uh cook islands that was the season where i was just where i was at school wasn't aligning perfectly but i went back and rewatched uh once i had a chance to so i've, I've seen them all beginning to end now fantastic and can you tell us so what inspired the course hartley surviving survivor uh, you started just over a year ago, I understand, but tell us a little bit about that journey and just even as a fan, but then that motivation to talk to others about such a great show. Absolutely. So I have a colleague and friend, Jen, Jen Nash, who I co-teach the course with, and she is also a huge Survivor fan. And we would connect on Thursday mornings after the episode to break down what we saw, what we liked, what we, you know, what our, our kind of analysis of the game was. And then one of the things that is important to the program that we teach in the Bachelor of Health Sciences program, the big focus of the program is on, you know, community and group process. And we started thinking about how a lot of what we talk about in some of our courses aligned and mapped nicely to what we were talking about when we were analyzing the show. Mm -hmm. And we decided one reading week on a whim, hey, do you want to just create a fun course outline to see like, what could that look like? What would it look like if we had a course on Survivor? And we started pulling some topics of, oh, we could do a class on that. We could do a, a topic on that. And then suddenly we had a pretty decent course outline that we thought, okay, let's just tuck that away. And maybe there's an opportunity we could pitch it at some point. And it just so happened that one day, uh, Jen happened to be chatting with our assistant Dean and said, you know, Hartley and I have this course that we've been developing kind of in our heads about, about Survivor. And our Dean, Stacy said, that sounds amazing. Let's see what happens. Let's run with it. Um, and gave us the green light and the course was born. That's amazing. Now, Stacy, being a big fan as well, or just believed in you guys? Just believed in us. She hadn't, I don't know how much Survivor she's watched, but I think she saw the potential of how we were using 
the course as a as a, a text as, as a springboard as you mentioned Jordan just to talk about a lot of different disciplines and we thought of ways in which we could cover a lot of different academic topics uh, but through the lens of survivor mm -hmm. yeah that's amazing and so for those who are listening who are prospective students maybe for this uh, what do you hope people will gain by being part of this class for us it's sort of twofold part of it is looking at how survivor acts as a microcosm of society the thing that jeff loves to say that yeah. looking at how is survivor like real life so part of it is looking at the show analyzing it looking at behavior on the show what about that is unique to playing the game and what of that is very much applicable to what goes on in our day-to-day -day lives um, and then the other part is for them just to be critical media watchers in terms of how they are consuming information consuming content I mean, analyzing survivor is not unlike analyzing an academic text or a, a novel or an academic publication it's all about looking at you know what is how do i know this is credible how do i understand the biases of this author or of this conversation so it's thinking about how they can apply those skills that the course you know gets at so that they can use that in their everyday lives or other courses at the university mm -hmm. I want to dive in a little bit, if this is okay. This is kind of the new era of Survivor where all the secrets are bare. So I, you don't have to tell us all your secrets from the course itself. But <laughs> wanted to ask specifically around the idea of building community. That's one of the, the many things that you cover. This is something that's very important to me and to Jordan. It's a big reason why we started the Survivor at Home community and the game during the pandemic. Because obviously, people were lonely and people were craving fun and even adults you know with kids at home or single but people just longing to spend time with people and there was something about survivor that really we found brought people together and to play our game which is just a two-night online reality game but from that we had a you know a chat group and people watching and texting each other and even winners at war how meaningful that show felt at that time in history it sounds almost cliche but it really was meaningful like an escape during what was a very cruel and difficult time for people's mental health and mental well-being and lacking community. So I, I kind of have two questions here around the idea of community. But so as a big Survivor fan yourself, what is it about a show that like is based on outwitting, outlasting, outplaying, being cutthroat, getting to the end, and yet something about that show actually unites people? And that's both fans, but even the players themselves. Can you speak to that a little bit? I think it's multifold. Part of it, like you're talking about, part of it is the fandom of us at home watching it and seeing and analyzing and building that community the way Jen and I would meet on a Thursday morning to talk about the show. And then part of it for the players is they have that shared experience where they are playing something and doing something unique that only the 16, 18, 20 of them will experience and then the 500 plus player community that they have as a group. So they're building their own community of players or communities within a season. And I think as a whole, what's really appealing about the show is that, uh, you know, part of the course this year is we're watching season four and, you know, reflecting on Gabriel Cade's perspective of, you know, I'm not here to play the game, I'm here to build this community. And I, I think that there is that kind of, at least partially that mentality of players who come into the game, hoping that if we do it right, we will not have to vote each other off until much later on. And let's just connect and, mm -hmm meet people that we wouldn't necessarily meet in our everyday lives, but build bonds and build connections with fellow Americans, Canadians, whoever happens to be on their tribe. And there's something very meaningful about that, especially in an environment kind of like we, we kind of experienced at the beginning of the pandemic in March around being stripped away from 
what we consider normal and being put in this very unique circumstance where we now are forced to rely on each other in a very meaningful way. Yeah, Jordan, did you want to ask your question yeah. too? I know you were talking about community. So before. I was talking about community and specifically society. One of the things um, that was key to me in the opening episode of this season was Jeff Probst talking about the players create their own society and any society has its own rules and any society to society to society, the, the rules of how it works and how you behave and what is the normal can be different. We see that city to city on a greater scale, country to country, and we see that season to season. And you could you could say Survivor 42, the society was very like accepting of, you know, if someone made a big move, they respected it. They kind of cheered their way out when that happened. That doesn't always happen. And we've seen very bitter, even tonight, you could say it was a little bit bitter um, with this past episode, right? With the vote out. But um, are there moments that maybe your students uh, and you've talked about, or just you observe in general, where a society sets its rules that affect it later on in the game of Survivor? You mean set the rules early on that kind of come out to play later on? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, part of, part of the way I kind of think about that is going back to season one with Richard sitting in the tree talking about, like, let's talk about why we're here um, and understanding the process and ultimately, you know, I don't know if he was necessarily the most empathic person, but he was able to understand others and think about what are they here for, and then use that against them in a lot of ways, yeah. uh, which ne isn't necessarily promoting community, but at its core, that process of understanding why is that person here? What do they want? What are they fighting for? And essentially kind of at its fundamental level, that's empathy building, kind of understanding the other and seeing how they view the world is a really powerful process. I don't know how, you know, that's that plays out. The, the applicability is how that plays out in our real world. That's really valuable. On the show, it's valuable in some respects, but also really problematic because if you are able to be read and if people are able to see what you want and empathize with you, then they'll they'll be able to figure out what your next best move is. Right. Um, so that's kind of one of the negative aspects of kind of community building on the show is that you build this community and you rely on these individuals and then eventually that community must be broken. Yes, yeah. it's very selfish at the heart of it, right? Of how can I manipulate or understand all these people so that at the end of the day, I can have a leg up on them and vote them out. Yeah, yeah. and and because I think the players don't have, like they, they enter the conversation trying to build a society, though I think unlike Richard Hatch, no one actually tries to sit down and say, what are our rules? Because I think everybody comes in with different rules but no one has that kind of group process moment to say, let's sit down, let's hear, what, how do you want to play the game? Is lying okay to you? What about you? What about you? And everyone just comes in with their own perspectives and either hides it or lets it out in little bursts, uh, which yeah. makes it so hard to play because you don't know what other people's investments and perspectives are on how they're going to play and what community means to them. Yeah. It's and interesting. In, Go ahead. Jordan. Sorry, just even in like a microcosm, we've seen a couple of moments this season. Ellie going through Gabler's bag, like sets a precedent of I'm going to, it's not cheating. It's not breaking the rules, but it is the morality of it. Do you want to do that? And it sets a precedent. That's how she's going to play to uh, this episode with going to steal from another or the raid to go to steal from another um, tribe's camp. What you're going to take sets a boundary of how 
you're moving forward, how you're playing in the game. So it's cool to, to kind of those strategy aspects along with the community and how everyone acts around each other. You've seen in previous seasons where the cast doesn't get along in the newer seasons, they very much do. And a lot of these vote outs are really difficult in a different way than they, they have been in the past. Yeah. Yeah, that's well said. And we got to ask you, Hartley, what would you do in those uh, either one of those scenarios of these moral decisions, but the bag specifically, our past couple of weeks, we debated whether that's right or wrong. Would you morally, would you be able to do that? Because obviously we said it's different than being on the transit here in Toronto and looking at someone's bag and taking something, <laughs> right? You're, but in the game of Survivor, where it is allowed, but it's still kind of shady, what would you do personally if you were in their shoes? I'd like to think I would go into the bag because that is just smart gameplay to know what other players have and also to be able to read the fine print to figure out what is the limitation or advantage of this um, kind of idol or whatever it is. Though I think personally, I, I would really struggle with that. And I don't know if I would be able to do it. I think I might play more of an Owen role where I keep lookout. Um, so I'm not the one actually doing the act but I will benefit from somebody else doing the act. <laughs> Someone else can do your dirty work. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. We've had a few people say that. Lynette said that as well, our, our, one of our winners from our online event. So obviously you have something in common there, which is a good <laughs> thing. Um, I did want to ask too about, so the course not only talks about what happens on the show, but then what, what can you take from that and apply to real life? So again, on this topic of community building, can you even share with us one or two practical things that students might learn in terms of, hey, this is this is something we can take into real life when it comes to building communities in our own context? So a lot of it is we talk about how um, the marooning compares to Welcome Week and you know what, what do they do in the marooning and how is that similar to your experience as you know your first year at McMaster or how is and what, what about it acts differently or even thinking about the ways in which you know we watched season one, episode one, Borneo, and then we watched season one, episode one of All Stars, and we talk about what, how does the game differ when people know each other? And we compare that again to the university life of being in first year versus taking an upper year course. And when you're taking an upper year course, you might have worked with other students before, or you know someone who's worked with another student before, and they say, "Oh, Andrew, you know he's a good partner to have in your group." So now, if you end up on a tribe with him or on a group project with him, you know now all of a sudden you know. A little bit about that person and so that's similar to the way all-stars work where you had reputations um, also the players knew the professor they knew jeff and so you can interact with them in a different way mm -hmm. in the same way that if you're a student and takes a first year course with a prof and then you have them again in third or fourth year you've built up a bit of a dynamic and a relationship with them so the community process building process looks different because in upper years you've got that comfort with the teacher or the prof and possibly with each other um, so that's part of it. And then the other piece is looking at what do players do really well to build community and then asking the students to think about where are you a leader? Where are you trying to build community, whether it be, you know, in your residence or in a club that you're involved with or in your in your communities in, in your daily life? And what are the things that you're watching from players on the show that you might want to emulate or bring into that? What are they doing really well? What are the what are the kind of strategies or perspectives that people are bringing to act as positive examples of community building that they can use in their in their daily lives. Mm -hmm. And do you touch it all on mental health? Again, I talked about that with the pandemic. And that's, I, I, in my experience, people desire and crave community, but it's it doesn't always just happen. So I think you do need individuals and, and then groups of individuals who are inspired, as you're talking about, to 
to, to learn from a show or from people that they have learned from themselves and go and actually replicate meaningful, welcoming, joyful places of community. Yeah. And we, I think we talk about it from the, the other aspect of it, the, the mental health impact of being voted out. And when you're, when you feel like you're part of that community and you're feeling connected and just the, the toll that that can take, um, when you're ejected from that community. And mm -hmm. again, thinking about how does that play out in our real world? Hopefully not as, um, you know, unpredictable or blindsidey as it happens on the show, but where you feel connected to a community. And, you know, one really easy example is a, is a breakup. You know, mm -hmm. you're part of that community with your partner, you're building a system with your partner. And then all of a sudden, if you get dumped, that is you getting voted out of that of that community. And, and you know, you might have a connection to their family and you really like their dad or their sister. And all of a sudden now you can no longer contact them in the same way that if you get voted out, you're you're done or you have to sit on Ponderosa, whatever that means in, in the real world. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I, we've, we haven't talked about the positive benefits as much, but I think that's something that you bring up, uh, Andrew, that I think I want to incorporate into this 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 current season of the show, of our course, uh, because I think that's a really valuable part as well to think about the positive aspects of what the show does in terms of bringing people together. Mm -hmm. Yes, you are free to use any of this content. And you made a reference to, you know, hypothetically people being partnered with me to do a college course or a project and being happy about that, that has never actually happened. No one has been paired with me. You can ask Jordan each week. I didn't, oh, I didn't want to break the news. Jordan, Jordan, Jordan says, great, I got to do this with him for another week, but here he is, he's very faithful. And I appreciate that. Um, I did want to ask you a couple more questions before we dive into the episode. Uh, one about representation as well, because uh, we, so for my wife and I, we're in a really interesting phase now where we have two young kids who are watching the episodes. We'll record it and watch it. So this afternoon after school with them and as kids do, they ask very blunt childlike questions. So my, I'm sitting there with my five-year-old son and he'll say, why does, why does Noel, uh, how, how, she, how can she swim with one leg? Or uh, what, is, what does that mean Gio's not going to be able to be with his family anymore after coming out? Or what does it mean that Ellie lost her sister? What's, it, what's addiction? What's overdose, right? Um, or even hearing last season with Marianne, there was a beautiful moment. I think Rob on his podcast, Rob has a podcast, captured it where she just beautifully talks about it's okay to be weird and, and quirky and I'm just proud of who I am. If you remember that montage and the music's playing, like I got chills and my kids are watching it too. And so they're asking these questions and, and there's uh sometimes it's hard sometimes it's hard to ask, like why you know what's an addiction what does that mean um to try to talk to kids about that but i think what, what we're learning as parents is that this is really valuable to have our children uh, with us but but watching the show and, and be, be able to ask freely questions about what they're seeing that they might not other, otherwise see on other programs so i wanted to ask you just even in your course what are some things that you have found uh, helpful from survivor and talking to your students and again like we're three white men here talking about this but I, I would appreciate just a bit of insight on this idea of representation and really why it matters uh, in a class like yours i think the way you were describing you know you're talking about with your kids is the exact benefit of it is that hearing that diversity of narrative that you get you have your lived experience which is your lived experience that um has shaped who you are and who we are mm -hmm. and you know, hearing perspectives that are so different from yours can be really valuable. And I feel like the show previously, you know, didn't do as good of a job, did a very poor job of kind of sharing the backstory of players and very much archetyping or kind of putting players in a very, very clear box to, to tell a very simple narrative. 
where I feel now what we're getting is complexity. And you're seeing that there are players who don't necessarily fit into any particular mold. And even in a player from the, the past, like, like a Lex Vandenberg, who was both tattooed and sharp, um, you know, I think the show didn't know what to do with that because you you think that this guy you need a category. Sorry, it's like you need a category, right? Are they you need a category just, exactly? Yeah. Where this kind of storytelling is now disrupting that a little bit, where you you get someone who is um, who is complex and multi layered, and it's not as simple as okay, they are this this archetype. So I think the representation piece is really valuable because it allows for the conversations that you're having with your kids and you know even thinking about like you said you know, geo saying you know why can't he be with his family and that is and it's heartbreaking and so now it gives mm-hmm. you know possibly us a chance to say you know well this is this is you know the way it, it this is the way it is for geo's family and this is the way it shouldn't be and how do we create a, a different world for him and for mm-hmm. others like him um and kind of allowing us to push back and get our the next generation to reimagine the way the world can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautifully said. And can I ask a controversial question here? This is one that sometimes people bring up. I see it on Twitter, a lot of kind of woke survivor, right? People saying, well, what's this? And does that come up in your class too? Because you probably do have even within that class, a diverse group of opinions. And and I I just think that's a an interesting question to bring up as well. What would you say to those who would talk about that in your class? Yeah, it's certainly something that we navigate in the class. It comes up, especially last season with the come on in versus come on in guys uh, conversation with Ricard in season 41. Mm -hmm. And I think that the way we position the course is that, you know, Jen and I want to have fruitful discussion and, you know, we always say disagreement is okay. That's, that can be really rich, but also kind of being mindful of that Jen and I have our own biases and I don't want to speak for Jen. I have my own biases uh, when I facilitate the class and certainly I have a certain perspective and I want to encourage other voices to kind of share, you know, their perspectives. If it's coming from a place of curiosity, if they're saying, you know, this is what I think and is this problematic? Um, And then we can have and engage in a, in a genuine dialogue, Mm -hmm. but certainly, you know, I think we've been very lucky. We haven't encountered any, any vocal pushback to anything that, you know, in terms of woke survivor or, you know, I mean, I've, we've all been on Twitter. We've seen the way they respond to, you know, that even the having 50% players of color um, on the show back mm-hmm. pushback as well. And mm-hmm. so we haven't had anybody in our class kind of say like, yeah, I agree with that pushback. Um, the class has been very welcoming of the conversation and the changes that survivor is making and the kind of wokeness of survivor. Um, but I also recognize who the audience that I'm, I'm talking to is. And I wonder if this course is being taught in another space or with different, with a more diverse group, maybe more vocal voices would come through there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think so, so much of what you're getting at is what's important. And you hope that even if people uh, might not fit in that group or maybe be more opposed to some of these conversations, I think it's a show like Survivor, hopefully, is, is welcoming enough. And I think... Um, and entertaining enough, right? That people might just give it a chance. And and what is lost in our culture today, and I know you know this, but just the, the ability to sit and listen to, as you said, a different perspective. And so, yes, it's one thing to, if you have a criticism, but to say, well, have you, have you heard their story, right? And that's where we're being challenged. Even last week, you know, we've talked this season about Cody and he's someone who traditionally not too long ago would have been, well, he's a villain, for sure a villain. But Jordan said uh, last week, Jordan, I'm going to steal your quote, you know, maybe there's no longer villains, but just villain moves, because even as I was trying to, I was, I think, as we talked, trying to pin him as well, he's just kind of this one dimensional 
character he said on on the very first episode that he's spent half the money already he's got to win it back and that's just who he is right but jordan challenged me lynette challenged me and others as well to say you know usually people who have a story like this there's a lot of pain and trauma behind that and he's he's actually a very caring person and he and then he goes on to talk about that losing his friend right and and that propelling him to try and live a life of of risk and making the most of each day so giving people the space to to share their story and there's something about that that i i that's why i keep coming back to survivor more than other more than ever because i think they tell the stories uh in a very beautiful meaningful way that draw you in and i don't know about you but on episode one of this season right away so that i feel like i know these characters already so there's something about the show and i just i guess want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing with the course because i think just as we're finding on this podcast it's fine we're we're big fans of the show it's a silly game and yet there's something deeper here there's something that we actually find is very helpful and meaningful for building community for learning for educating ourselves and and just self-reflection um as well so thank you for for sharing that Thank you. Thank you. I love that that quote that Jordan kind of brought up last week. And it makes me think the other hat that I wear is I, I when I no, don't teach Survivor, I teach theater um, at the university. And one of the things that, you know, I tell students who are taking the courses is that, you know, there's no every character that you play, no character sees themselves as a bad person. Uh, they're just they're good people who might be doing bad things. And that's exactly what I think about in terms of the villain piece is that there are no bad players. They're players who see themselves as good people who are doing villainous things to help themselves or help others or kind of put it whatever spin they want to put on it. Mm -hmm. And even with someone like Jesse, right, who at one point of his, in his life, he would have because of his own decisions, but because of his own upbringing and the trauma there was, you know, accountable for that and spent time in prison. But then you see where he's coming. This even I, I, idea of believing in people, holding people to account, but believing yeah. that people are more than just their decisions in the moment. Now, anyway, it's a, it's a great conversation. We could do a whole podcast about that, but uh, we okay. won't. I, I did have a couple, one more question. Um, have you applied to play on Survivor before? I have. It was one of those things where before Canadians were allowed to apply, people would ask and I would always say, I would love to, but I can't. And it was kind of a safe answer because then it was like, well, you know, I, I just can't. Uh, I don't have to put, I don't have to kind of put my money where my mouth is. Uh, and then once it opened up to us as Canadians, I thought I, I just had to. So I have applied. What about you two? Have you two applied as well? Jordan? I have I have not and I should and I need to and I need to get on that, but I have I have not and I do I do want to and I'm just going to have to execute that at some point in the near future. Yeah. Yes. Let's talk more action, Jordan. I have mm -hmm. applied as a good fan and I put my money wait, money where my mouth is, is that the saying? Yep. Anyway, I, I have applied. It hasn't, I haven't heard back either. We have a few friends in the Survivor home community who have yeah. applied. Uh, I can think of one in particular, Alex, who has applied many times each season. But why not, right? Like some, that's the idea. There's so much fear that drives people. And dry, I'm, that's my story too. Of often it's, well, it won't be me, but why not? Why not put yourself out there? And we've said to people, even in playing our weekend long version, like it is hard. People say, well, I'm, I'd be tired. And it's scary because it is. It's like a, it's actually a very intense little microcosm of the game. And and we just try to encourage people, don't make a decision based on fear. Just push yourself and try something. And you never know. Maybe one day we'll have someone. And as we've seen with Marianne and Erica, both from this like exact little corner pocket of southern Ontario. So they've already paved the way for us. Although there's a lot of pressure if one of us did get on and didn't win, we'd just kind of be <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 
anyway um and before we jump into the episode where can people find out more information i i assume you're already into this semester now where we're recording here on october 13th but uh is it full right now and and in the future how might people find out more about the course the course is full and running. Um, and if you want to learn more about the course, you can just, I mean, search Hartley, Jafine, and McMaster. You'll find the information there. Or Jen Nash and McMaster, you can get to the course through either of us. And, you know, Jen and I are more than happy to connect with any fans. So if you have any questions and want to ask us anything, reach out. We're more than happy to chat. That's awesome. And we'll include the link for the course in the show notes as well. That's yep. so people can check that out. Um, Jordan, anything else about the class before we jump into this episode? Um, I think just what is there any does it does the topic get brought up because I listened to um, a podcast that you'd done before and you were chatting about the current season that was going on in 42 it ends up being McMaster graduate Marianne wins the season so not just from the area but does that come has that come up in this semester because this would be the first classes since you since that happened. Yes. So the first two years we ran the course, the season that we watched in full week to week was season 37, David versus Goliath. And then this year we thought, okay, we need to, we need to pull 37 and swap it in for 42. Um, And so we've been watching season 42 and it's been so fun because there are some students in the class who do not know that Marianne won and have said things like, well, if a McMaster grad had won, we would have heard about it. Um, And I guess (laughs) just haven't been paying attention to the like McMaster newsfeed or anything like that. Uh, so I'm really excited to see um, what they think when they when they eventually when she does win because it's been interesting to hear the players who don't know that she has won analyze her game because they are sitting there going she's done there's no way she makes it past next episode yeah. um, mm-hmm. and Jen and I are kind of sitting there going interesting tell us more why do you think that um, so <laughs> <laughs> they're in for a surprise yeah that's that's amazing. a fun one we had a we had a friend in the Survivor at Home community who. Um, hopped in, played the game for the first time, and then went back and started watching seasons. And he'd call us, call Andrew and I all the time and talk through a season and similar experience where like, this person is is doing this really well, but I like this person better. And you're, you're just sitting there going, oh, I know the results. I know what's going to happen. Or I think <laughs> I remember that season. And uh, and it's a fun experience to, to see someone going through it for the first time. Yes. So. Shout out to London Steve. Shout out to London. Yes. He comes up every episode. Yeah, it's a little uh, inside <laughs> joke there, Hartley. But yeah. uh, thank you for, for enduring that. A loyal sponsor of the show and longtime uh, listener yeah. and fan. So um, we're going to jump into the episode and Jordan, you can take us away. Episode number four of season 43 survivor. Yeah. So let's go through it. One of the first things we see in any episode is they come back to camp and you've got that reaction. I'm, I'm always looking for the Tony and Sarah season 40 reaction where Sarah's just yelling at Tony for voting out Sophie doesn't quite, uh, doesn't quite happen, but still you see in this group, the harmony with everyone voting out someone like NECA was so difficult and a friend Cody talking about that. Um, but also how difficult it is like no Flint, no fire making those tough decisions is such an interesting dynamic. I don't know how you guys feel like, but the interesting dynamic of survivor where they generally would just want to play together, work together, but you go to tribal and you have to deal with the fact that you've lost you, your consequence for losing is someone's journey and someone's headed out um of the door and just any kind of initial thoughts on uh, on them coming back i think it speaks to the the bonds that we were talking about earlier about community that they that they've known NECA six days seven days and and yet still voting her out was such a an impact on them and i think that just 
speaks to what gets created out there that it's not we i mean sitting at home you know i can sit there and go get rid of neca she's not good at puzzles she's not helping your tribe um but once you're there playing it it's really hard to disentangle what you should do versus the bonds and the connections that you're making with other people and who was it last week i think it was either cody or jesse who had a really good comment about how when you're out there on on the island playing survivor you don't have your phone as a distraction you don't have your family members as a distraction you don't have friends you don't have events work nothing it's you're on the island with those five others or four others depending on where you are in the game or however many are left in it that's all that's there and that's all you're focused on so those bonds it's not just you know i started working somewhere for a week and i've met these people and talked to them for five days and learned from them no i'm everything I do is surrounded by these people. If I go looking for food or building our shelter, it's for them, it's for us um, and those bonds. And you can't, uh, you don't get any kind of release from that. So um, it's crazy how it expedites the process on friendship building, family building um, in a sense as well. Yeah. And then we get a fun setup um, in the morning. Gabler is putting palm trees on people while they're sleeping. I think this is just a kind of comedic relief, but it also speaks to the reverse end of what we were just talking about, how those bonds come together. But when you get to know someone really well, something's going to bother you. It just, it, it's the nature of life. The, the, you're close to someone. There's going to be something that annoys you. They know how to get it. My sister, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, no, she we were talking this weekend. No one knows how to push my buttons like my sister does. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, and so we see that uh, we see that happening as well. Um, but you, then you also get a look into the real clash of Ellie and Gabler, which is something or Gabler, which we haven't really seen this season, but like a clashing of two people it is gabler that was my on week one hardly i said gabler and jordan said are you sure i said yes 100 percent." and then my <laughs> wife my wife was listening the next day in the car and then she texted me she said you're like do you not watch the show it's gabler for sure so i've messed everyone up who listens it is gabler uh final answer gabler is his name um but yes that was a hilarious moment because i last night i had a terrible sleep my kids woke up so i can't kind of sleeping on the floor beside them and I didn't have my blanket because I was half awake and so I'm kind of cold and half awake and think of that and then you finally fall asleep and then my son nudges me and then you're like man I want to just sleep and that's exactly what happened <laughs> in this episode where they're laying there and you it probably would be hard to sleep right you don't have blankets and it's and it's not a comfy surface and there's no pillows and then finally fall asleep and then to feel your tribe mate putting palm fronds on your body and waking you up that like those are the kind of things that can really annoy you uh even in real life and then you take away food and add that stress and that condensed version so yeah i don't know what he's thinking he they're definitely kind of building up this uh animosity inc increasingly from not just ellie looking at gabler but also then gabler after talking in his confessional that you know if if we go too far with ellie in this game we are all going to regret it so these are as you said jordan I think these two are definitely gunning for each other and they're, they're setting us up um, for a little bit of a battle coming up. Um, we moved through a reward challenge, a straight up reward challenge. I thought there might be a, a twist here, um, but no, straight up reward challenge. We don't see these too often. The reward though, it must be nice, fresh, getting fresh fish. You don't have to go out and fit, like go fishing for them, use fishing gear. It'll just be given to you and 
there's uh, there actually was a small twist getting to go to one tribe and steal an item from them as well a raid um you don't see that very often in survivor so i thought it was cool uh to add that part uh into the challenge cody owned the first part of this challenge um that was where he was had to knock the blocks off and then use blocks to walk across and using only his feet to move them survivor we've talked about this a couple times um hardly on this on the show this season where they take elements of different challenges and put them together but i think this other than throwing the the sandbags into the blocks like that that block part walking across i don't think we've seen that before have we I don't think so either. It was a really cool twist to the game of, like you said, incorporating elements of the challenge that they had to continually use pieces of the challenge to move forward in the in the actual kind of puzzle element of the challenge itself. Mm-hmm. I want to ask too, Hartley, right when they walk in, Jeff says you're seeing the new Vessi tribe without NECA. And then they do show James and they show Owen. Yeah. And they it's, it's kind of like a semi uh, big reaction, not massive, but they definitely kind of look over, roll their eyes a little bit have a, a look of excitement or expression uh what is your take on lo- what happened last week with them at the hike up and do you think they have a right to be mad at noel for seemingly not making a big move at this point of the game well i think it's interesting because they like we all do they are trying to put things together without the full context and so they're looking at another person the way we all do and try to fill in those gaps and so I'm, I'm going to be very curious to see what happens when they are, hopefully are able to reconnect if they reconnect and emerge or a swap likely emerge um, to be able to share notes because yeah, they, I think they, they gave up a lot yeah. to help her. And it felt like from what they're seeing, there was no payoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious to see that as well, because they, they really did uh, basically give that away to her. And I think she was kind of pitching this idea that maybe it's time for a big move. And so I think even though they don't know all the details, I think at least on a challenge perspective, when they know again, that it's probably not going to be tribe swaps either, that NECA is probably just an easy vote and to not take someone out like a Cody or a Jesse at that point. I just wonder if when they meet up with her, they will be a bit disappointed, but regardless, she still has the advantage because of it. So maybe that'll benefit her. Which hopefully doesn't come back to haunt them. I really wonder if, you know, in the future, if she's going to use her advantage to oust Owen um, right. or, or you... anything like that. Well, it's a pretty powerful advantage too. It's because it's stealing the vote and then using it. Right. So it's, yeah, it's one of Take the stronger. From someone cast it for yourself. That's a, that's a two point swing, like a two vote swing. Mm-hmm. Right. In, in taking it away and adding it on. Um, it can make a big difference, especially we see in these small tribes. Noel's tribe is at four right now. That power is vote changing at five or six. It's still changing. When you get to emerge, you can flip a vote by doing that, but you have to make sure the numbers are right. Mm-hmm. But uh, in these small tribes, it is so powerful to have that in your po- in your back pocket. Um, and I don't and- know if they're going to do the same thing where they, they, at the merge, break them in two groups of five uh, like they did in 41 and 42. But if they do that there, if it's a group of five, Noelle has so much power because she mm. can control the vote whichever way she wants it. Yeah, yeah a little point. bit of comfort in that too because that's like to to go through that merge moment and then go into a five vote right away with three, two, three, four brand new people to have that type of power as well and a little bit of safety without truly being safe will definitely be helpful, could be helpful if they go through that situation again. 
Mm -hmm. I love this challenge too, because Jeff being very honest and very vocal, which he seems increasingly each season just to be more comfortable saying what's on his mind. And he said, (laughs) we're not used to seeing Vessi winning and uh, just, just kind of chirping them for their journey so far. But they really did wake up that morning, as Cody said, and Noel says after they're tired of losing, they want to change the script. And here they are, they actually pull off the win. I thought maybe Dwight was going to blow it when he's tossing because it was a small, it's a small surface, right? And any of these challenges, all you got to do is get a couple of good shots, even if you've been behind the whole time. But sure enough, yeah, Dwight lands it. They get the reward. You feel good for them. My son, actually, I got a little video of him. He was cheering for Vessi and he stands up and cheers for them, I guess, twice this uh, episode because they finally pull it off. Uh, they get the reward. But this very interesting observation, Noel saying, well, we can't actually eat the fish, Jeff, because we can't cook it because we don't have fire. And then asking, um, and I've seen a few people posting on Twitter, did, did Jeff just make up a rule on the spot, Hartley, about <laughs> about survivor history and, and what you're allowed to do with rewards? I think so. I, I, I mean, last, last, like season 41 and 42, there was, there were a couple of challenges where, you know, if you won, you could pick A or B, but there was... I don't remember a time where you could go back to a previous challenge and get the thing from the previous, unless it was stated at the outset. It felt like this time around, Jeff said, yeah. oh, you can always, you can always trade. It's totally yes. okay. I, I don't know if we've seen that before. That's been explicitly stated. Also in Jeff's history of trading, he's been very difficult. So for them to get Flint and fruit, I, I, there's and part a toolkit too, like a toolkit as well, and a toolkit. Yeah, I think because um, that that reward before had been a toolkit combined right. Flint, with Flint was part of the toolkit. Fruit, like uh, there are previous, well. yeah. there are previous seasons where the cost of Flint is ten fish, and your shelter, and your shelter, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. and more, just for, just to get Flint back. Um, and so yeah, them making this trade, getting a full tool or at least part a partial toolkit, a whole bunch of fruit, which must be so nice to have mm-hmm. fruit out there, get that extra um, natural sugars as well. Um, and yeah. Flint, it, it helps them moving forward. Plus they still get the raid as well. Yeah. Another fact that's a three, four part reward we've just named on, and they traded away 10 fish to get it. So, but most of it, they were able to come by. Um, I I've seen, we've seen Jeff be a lot more difficult, on bartering and trading than this episode he's getting nice <laughs> in his old age yeah in his old age he's getting nice grandpa yeah. probes is getting soft that's right it's his grandkids now up to bat so yeah it is good to see though they get they make the deal with him and bessie comes back they're on this high they're eating the fruit enjoying the moment but a really big decision to make and what to rate and they're talking coco you know has six people but Raka has five but bigger rewards that maybe we could take um, they're contemplating the machete, like going for the jug- jugular. And I love Jesse's comment here of, you know, back in the day, in my younger years, I would have been with Cody. Like I would have just gone for the jugular, taken the machete, screw them over really. But he said, now I live on a cul-de-sac and I have to think through my being yeah. kind to my neighbors. <laughs> right. And, and maybe I should pause on this, but uh, what would you guys have done in this situation? Because the, in this game, I don't think they show it to the, to the extent of how valuable a machete really is. But as they said, like that, you can cut up, your food with it you, you can use it for with the flint um what would you do would you would you consider uh, a cutthroat move like that of taking the machete i th- i think for me it depends on who's going i think if i'm going i don't want to be the face to take a, a tribe's machete right if i'm sending cody to do it 
maybe I'm okay with it. Um, <laughs> again, because I, I, not to, you know, I'm thinking about the question you asked me before about would you go sit through someone's bag? And I said, you know, I wouldn't, but I would kind of keep watch. I think this is a really good example of you really don't want to be the face of the action because the face of the action will be remembered. And even though you were on the tribe that took the, the machete, they're only going to remember Cody or whoever goes to get it. So I think for me, it would be really dependent on if I'm going or not. What about, what about you, Jordan? Man, I, I, there's, there's the two sides of it, right? And you could see the clear divide within this tribe on their decision-making of Dwight, Noel, Jesse, they want to be diplomatic and Cody's presenting himself as just go for the jugular, go for the, go for the throat. I think I, I personally would, I would probably lean the conservative way and get more, actually the approach that they ended up taking, get more kind of bang for your buck and grab a couple of things that they agree to rather than the machete. Um, I think actually Cody ended up playing that pretty brilliantly, but the lead up to it, I thought the dynamics are phenomenal. You have these three on this tribe that want to do that diplomatic. Cody just wants to go to war. Dwight has the quote about, it's like sending your kid off to school and you have no idea how they're going to behave. <laughs> um, I thought it was a brilliant line. I think I would lean towards the conservative diplomatic approach is my would be my way trying to please everybody, which can be a flaw, but would be something that I'd probably lean to in this type of situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I think there's too much on the line here, similar to what we'll get to later on with helping the other tribe in the challenge. I think there's too many variables and there's not enough locked in that like to make a decision like that, to make that many potential enemies just doesn't seem smart to me that early in the game. But um, Cody, I think this is a masterclass in, sales as he goes there and and shows up and and i think they don't show us but it seems like it was his decision that he was not they did not tell him to run the script but he basically comes with this idea that hey we are here to take your machete and Lindsay, you know rightly says like you realize the message this is going to send right if you do this right. but he then says and i've been in sales 13 years you don't come in telling them what you want you go in and make an offer and then from there barter away and I, I think he did a phenomenal job at just getting everything he could have got out of, out of this tribe I did have a question though for uh, you Hartley I, I've seen a few people on Twitter maybe just some of your connections in the survivor community um, it seems like fishing gear isn't as valuable as some people say it is I saw even a comment yesterday someone write that you know unless you go out far in the deep in the water and you, and you know what you're doing it's not really that valuable but i've never heard that as a viewer I, I just assume well that equates to getting fish yeah i think what you're seeing from what i've heard just from even just we're watching season 42 and in preparation for class next week i was just watching an episode uh where daniel in season 42 tries to go out fishing and comes back after hours empty-handed mm -hmm. and then jonathan later on goes out and brings back a whole boatload of fish and so i i my understanding is, yeah, if you don't know what you're doing, the fishing gear isn't much value to you unless you have someone who actually is either skilled at it or can learn quickly. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. And this we talked on this uh, last week, but how Jeff often comments that people don't prepare for coming on. And I get there are many things, but like opening a coconut or building a fire, but that might be another one. People watch, especially older seasons where you have some of these, you know, great people like Jonathan just go out and seem to do it 
in no time, but to get out there, I like, I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could use the spear hook, you know, the, the sling to catch a fish. I would, I like to, I'm a decent swimmer, but to actually get that close and have the mobility, know how to use that. I've never hunted a day in my life. So I don't know, like, it's just, it's fascinating. And I wonder if people, I, I would guess most people who go on the show who get accepted, don't then take a, a weekend course in spear fishing out in the, in the lake or the ocean near their place. And the fear of not losing it. Like, even if I was someone who was like, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a try. I'd be terrified. I would break the Hawaiian sling or lose it or, or something and then have to come back sheepishly and say, hi, everyone. Sorry. Yeah. That's where you just sail into the sunset. And like, I'm not, I'm done. <laughs> I, I just, I'm going to raise the flag. I'm sorry. It was, it was me, but uh, yeah, no, that was, that was great by Cody. Um, Carla though is on to him, right? Was, One of the great yeah. takes. And um, I didn't write it down. Jordan, did you get the, the quote there? Uh, I didn't get a full quote. I just got Carla saw through him and said, I think Cody played us. Yeah. Um, at which, which he did. He played everyone, I guess, except for Carla, but she didn't speak up in the moment. And uh, he came in and executed. See, I think he came in and knew exactly what he was doing. He wasn't going for the machete at any point. Um, and I think the team kind of convinced him of that a little bit um, on his way in, but he came in and got a ton food, fishing, extra food that he didn't even plan on getting. Um, and fishing gear. Uh, so he did, I thought he did a phenomenal job despite my reservations. I was right on Dwight's page of, I don't know what he's going to do once he gets there. And do you have, is, he doesn't have much predictability. He's, Cody's awesome. He's a great character and he's been really cool to learn from. And this was a really good episode for him in that um, from challenge to raid to challenge, phenomenal episode for Cody, but he's still unpredictable in nature. That's what he, that's what he does. That's uh, part of who his character is. And so um, for him to come out with, with that success was um, a cool step, I think, to see. What do you, what do you to think about Carla? Like, is, is the move for her to speak up and say, Hey, everyone, hold on. L like, come over here, Coco. Let's have a chat before, before Cody leaves. I think he's playing us. Or is the move just to stay silent and then say to the camera, I think he played us. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, there is the pressure in the moment to not overstep or you want to go with the group think, but I think there is a time to at least even to pull the group to say, let's just pause here. Like, can we have a minute? You go over there. That would be a good response to that, but it's so hard in survivor because you don't want to counter someone else's idea. Even uh, later on, you know, when Ryan, they get back and Ryan says, Hey, before, like, can we just eat together before people go off? That's not normally how it works to my understanding, yeah. but, to, to openly say, no, Ryan, like, I want to go right now. That would, you're just unnecessarily creating a target on your back. So um, it's, it's hard to say, I think, but I think in this specific scenario, Carla probably should have said, guys, this is a big decision. Can we just take a minute? Great, great idea, but yeah. let's just, let's go over here. And they didn't. And she said, I think we got, I think we got well, played. So I'm going to make a comparison here to, to sports. And um, the rules said they get to take one thing, right? So in 2017, I think it was, or 2016, somewhere around there, the Vegas Golden Knights entered the NHL and the expansion draft rules were they get to take one player from every team in the league and teams got to protect a certain amount of guys from their roster and then they could take anyone else. But because of the rules, there were a bunch of teams that really liked guys that were exposed to the Vegas Golden Knights and so made extra trades and gave them extra pieces, extra players, extra draft picks instead of taking a certain player who they could have otherwise just taken for free. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden that first year Vegas catches lightning in a bottle goes all the way to the Stanley cup final. 
helped very much so by all these extra pieces they picked up and it set them up for being really successful for a couple of years. And even now you could still say they're a really good team and could be successful this year. Fast forward a couple of years later and all these teams learn from that mistake and Seattle comes into league and every team just goes, you get one guy and that's Mm -hmm. it. And you're not getting anyone else and take who you want. Now, Coco didn't have the opportunity to say, well, we're vetoing. You can't take this piece, but you can take anything else. So they could have just walked in and taken the machete. But I feel like a lesson learned in this is he comes in, he takes one thing, he goes. Mm -hmm. And the only flaw in that is you can't protect one or two things that are your most important. And so, or you you can, Flint is protected, but you can't protect the machete. So maybe that's a flaw in that system. But I think the comparison stands of take one thing, leave, we're done. Yeah. Instead of giving up some fruit, giving up some fishing gear, was there a third thing that they gave up in that? Well, the lions as well, right? They're yes, the, the lions. lions. They gave up two, and, two uh, pieces of food. Is it potatoes or I don't know what that it was. was. Root, sort of root, root, something that they yeah. could. Eat. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what those were. But, yeah, I didn't know, um, but I think yeah. what you, I think it's a great point, Jordan, for sure. And again, there with these new twists, there is always like the first iteration of it, like. When someone sits on a bench now, like Geo did this, someone will always look now. So in future seasons when they have, which I think they'll do this again, it's a great twist. I like it to raid a camp. For sure, players are going to be more savvy about what they can do and propose, but also, like you said, in return, what they can offer. So yeah, but Cody, Cody did a great job. Oh, I found the quote here. Uh, <laughs> Carla, he's getting, he's getting all like Hawaiian, like mahalo. And she goes, bro, you're from Idaho. Just calm down. <laughs> that was a good moment. Uh, but still he walks out of there and I, and I was disappointed. They didn't show us back at camp, like the welcome back and him saying, guys, look what I did. I pulled this off, but I'm sure they had a little celebration uh, there with him. But that takes us to our immunity challenge. Uh, Jordan, what did you think of this challenge? I, again, innovative challenge. Um, We won't go through all of the pieces of it, but specifically the puzzle building, how the puzzle goes from a square to a triangle and having to lift those up the netting as well. They look, you can just tell the first time you see someone trying to lift, I think it's Sammy's the first person we see standing on the netting, trying to lift up a puzzle piece. And we know Sammy's like one of the strongest guys, maybe the strongest guy out there just in physical strength. And he's struggling on his own to lift up probably the biggest piece and you just realize in that moment okay those are legit heavy though <laughs> that's not easy to do that plus you have the instability of this uh of this netting um i thought that was cool but how they kind of stumble into that um into figuring out those puzzles in the square and the triangle were two cool components and then the line is this the, there's a couple of great lines in this episode overall but jeff Probst about dwight saying yeah. Dwight's moving about as slow as you can to actually be, be considered moving. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, that's, I want to pause here. So Hartley, I run the survive at home event. So I'm playing the Jeff Probst figure as through the course of the weekend. And as I watched the scene yesterday, my wife said that's, she thought that was a little unfair that Jeff would hone in on someone. And he does it all the time, but I, I always ponder this as the host. Is there a line with, what you can and cannot say specifically like pointing at one person, like Hartley, you're doing a great job, Jordan, you're doing an awful job in the podcast right now. So, you know, is there a line in there, not just morally, but then strategically, right? Are you, are you putting, are you bringing, making people aware of, Hey, this guy in your tribe is doing a terrible job, which he was, he was going very, very slow and looking around. So is, what are are your thoughts on Jeff being able to 
interject his own opinion, which is subjective because he's he may not say something about someone else. He might not even see someone else struggling as well. Exactly. Jeff commenting on a tribe, I think is totally fair game, you know, saying, you know, they're falling apart or, you know, surprise, they're doing well or anything like that. Those moments, I think, are fine and fair. Mm-hmm. I don't know if calling out specific players and drawing attention to someone who is performing poorly in a challenge is fair game because as you're pointing out it is drawing attention that maybe the tribe might not have noticed or Mm -hmm. players might not have seen and for him to spotlight it can certainly possibly change the the way tribal council goes because then all of a sudden if they had lost dwight probably would have been a potential target to go home and had jeff not said anything maybe he could have you know found ways to get around that yeah uh, yeah, it's just interesting because I'll do that as we're, as we're doing our challenges and watching. I will sometimes say comments, and I've wondered that because uh, I would generally agree, except for when <laughs> we bug her a lot. But Heather from a couple seasons ago, who you know seemed to really struggle, just time and time again, and Jeff was just ruthless with her too, right? And just but then he did encourage her a little bit. But I think everyone kind of understood she just was unable to keep up in, in some of the challenges. So maybe. Maybe when it's just obvious as it is, but yeah, when you have a fast-paced challenge with a team down to four, when there's so little mar, the margins are so small in terms of what actually, like why would you vote someone out? I think to point that out at times might be deemed unfair. But regardless, Vessi didn't have to worry because they pulled through. And um, do you do anything like this, uh, Hartley, in your in your class? Do you have puzzle like literal puzzles that you might uh, do with the classmates? Yeah, so because this year is the first year the course is being run in person, we got a bunch of Survivor Replica puzzles um, for the course. And so we've been running those, which has been really fun because the students are able to do it. And then we have the conversation of, okay, now imagine doing this on no sleep, very hungry, having lived together as a group, not just for our classes three hours, but now you're with each other all day, every day for you know hours on end with no distractions, to kind of try to think about what would that actually feel like. So yes, we do have this year, we've added some puzzles into, right. into the course. Although college is probably as close as you'll get not being on the Island of, you know, no sleep <laughs> and not eating, you know, craft dinner and beer and uh, coming in, you know, on no sleep. So that's what you're getting a fair representation, I think. Uh, Absolutely. In, and living with each other in, in a res. That's right. Uh, for that's sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that is cool. But this is a jungle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> these are interesting ones because they're so simple. It's it seems so simple. Four pieces. How hard could it be? And yet they take quite a bit of time. Um, I like what you said, uh, Jordan, too, just clearly so heavy to be able to try and lift yeah. these up. And I love Noel too. They're just in they're they're saying, Are you okay? She said, Don't worry about me. Like she yeah. is a trooper and she pushes through. The leg is not an issue for her. But then they get to the top and we have what may be a defining moment for, uh, you know, the episodes to come with the society to come, the society to come exactly where Vessi wins the reward and then makes a decision. Noel, you hear Noel's verse, voice first, but then everyone else uh, pipes in as well. And they start helping Baca with the square puzzle. I just want to talk about this for a few minutes because it really is controversial. I can't think of this ever happening before, at least in a group setting. Um, but yeah, what, what's your what's your take on this, uh, Hartley, seeing a tribe help another tribe this early in the game? So I think there's one previous example of this that I can think of as uh, Millennials versus Gen X, 
where there was a, a voice in when they broke into three tribes, someone helping another. I, uh, I this I, I do not think this is a wise move. I, I for a couple of reasons. One, I, I feel like you let Coco keep winning because we've seen time and time again, the tribe that keeps winning, once you get to the merge, they typically tend to fall apart um, because they haven't had that strategy component of the game yet. So helping Coco lose probably isn't going to help in the long run. And as well, this move gains you more enemies than it does gain you friends. Because I don't know how much Baka will, will be appreciative or pay it back uh, when it comes to it, where I feel like Coco now has been really burned by, by Noel and those four. What about you, Jordan? No, I was thinking the I was thinking right along the same lines of, you know, you've what you've done now is you've guaranteed not guaranteed, but you've put yourself with an enemy for sure. And have you given yourself an ally in Baka? Are we sure that they're gonna ally with you just because you helped them survive a challenge? They might have just they might have just gotten that triangle anyways, right? So you've you've pretty well said it that you're you have an enemy and they are not fans and they're bigger than you by one person <laughs> now, but they're they're bigger than you. So your odds of if there's a, there hasn't been a reshuffle in a couple seasons, it's just gone straight to the merge. But even in the merge, you have the five and five in the past couple seasons. So if you get reshuffled into a five and five or into the merge, you're going to have less people than them, almost guaranteed. And Bach is not there to bail you out necessarily. They might, but do they really care that you helped them survive one challenge that they might've survived anyways? Um, it's more harm than good. And then, you know, you, you talk about how, you know, Sammy lifting the puzzle piece and you could see how heavy those puzzle pieces were. And then on the flip side, Carla and I think Ryan and James were just hurling the pieces. Mm-hmm. So you could really see in terms of their Stococo strength, like they have a lot of people who know how to, how to use their bodies well. Yeah, mm-hmm. they do. For sure they do. And so it just, yeah, I didn't, I didn't love the move. I also, but I did think Coco came off a little, I guess it was the emotion of losing, um, they were quite bitter. Uh, some of the start, some of the snarky comments of the they can't win without help, they can't beat us, um, were quite uh, quite entertaining to hear from um, a team that just lost. I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as saying like sore losers because it's an emotional time just to lose, and they accepted that that's the way it goes. But they did feel, and maybe rightfully so. A oh man, cheap. I'd be pissed off if if that if I was a losing tribe in that scenario, I would yeah. be furious. I would be so upset that someone else because it is. It's so unjust and it's so short-sighted. Again, I would be thinking like, why? Like, they're not going to help you. Like, it's such a, you're making a poor decision in a moment that is not going to do any good for them long-term. So yeah, I, I if I were Coco, I'd be extra disappointed in that. Um, taking a really positive moment though from this challenge. Uh, this is for the youths listening. Uh, 19-year-old, undercover 19-year-old Sammy doing the gritty. I had to ask my kids, like, what is that called again? Like, this is the age. I'm not even that old. And I had to ask my kids because I didn't know. Yes, that's called the gritty. Uh, Sammy not doing a great job of hiding the fact that he's, in fact, 19 years old by doing the gritty when he wins to celebrate. Do you guys do you even know what that is when I'm referring to the gritty? Watch it back. It's the... It's the uh, for so all you're, those, you're more you're more in the know than than I think you think you are. I yeah. I'm in youth work, so I should know this, but I had to get my kids, like I said. But look it up, the the gritty and those you know 25 and under who are listening right now, uh, you're laughing at us who are a bit older, and you can one day come on and teach us all your moves. So anyway, I'm I'm curious, Andrew, would if you were on Coco and this happened to you, do you feel like when you hook up with 
Bessie later on, do you hold it against the players or do you kind of clean slate? It's a good question. To be honest, it's hard to say. And this is why I'm frustrated with the move because it's so short sighted. Like, I don't know what will be happening when we come to the merge. Like if we're joined together and we are, if we're still strong. Oh yeah. Like if we're a Coco strong, let's pick them off. Like screw them. They, they screwed us over. But I think what's probably going to happen is you're going to get there and two are going to go here and three are going to go there. So that's what I mean. It's, it's, it's such a short sighted move on their part to then want to go and get revenge is also short sighted because the tribe lines probably will not remain strong as we've seen in recent seasons of survivor that pretty much is out the window, the very first vote um, of, of the merge. So yeah. And the other question I have from James perspective, is that two strikes on Noel? Without ever, without just spending one journey with her, and then that is that two strikes now, where you kind of gave up a uh, an advantage for mm-hmm. her to have an advantage to not use it or not do much with it, and now she goes right up against your tribe and and forces another tribe to win over over you, and clearly picks them to win, and just um, yeah, that could be you know two strikes, just those little things that can he trust trying to play with her later on and does that expand out to the rest of that trap mm-hmm. i want to uh pause here we have an audience question uh we yes. do this hardly once in a while with our survivor at home community and this is from our good friend kel sherman who's a huge longtime fan uh of survivor and of uh and big brother and other reality tv lots of great perspectives and he asked this question for you hartley or actually professor jaffine he's written it wow yes very nice hypothetical situation for you so if you ever one day were to play in a Survivor at Home event, like one of ours, uh, we have an event called the Safety Chain, where one at a time, there's a there's windows of socializing time. And you, if you're up first, um, have to pick and say so you save Jordan. And then Jordan uh, has five minutes to strategize with everyone. And then he gets to pick one person to save. And he picks me. And then I get to have five minutes to socialize with everyone and so on and so forth until you get to the end. And the, the third last person picks they save and the person they don't is eliminated from the game so we have this kind of social twist that often shows up uh in in the game so that's the context he says if you were doing this and you're the second last one pick so you're that third last spot other remaining people left one is your personal friend and one is your alliance member what is the correct move who do you give safety oh kel that is uh that is a question (laughs) yes and it's a true situation that happens and has come up uh, multiple times in Survivor at Home. Whew. This is a question about morality and about, and about relationship because I could see the case of saying you cut your friend because you have no allegiance to them in the game. And in the world of the game, in the society of the game, you have an alliance mate and therefore that is what you need to honor. I also see the other side where you say, this is my friend, this is someone who I I know and I'm connected to and this alliance mate, yes, we are an alliance, but this is a fairly newer relationship and we have a history. From a gameplay perspective, I say you cut your friend and honor the alliance, though I think from a me playing it perspective, I probably would cut my alliance mate potentially because I don't think I'd have the, I don't think I'd have the heart to cut a friend. 
and it hurts, right? Like we, this is silly. Like we do this fun weekend long game, but people get upset in the, and I, I mean, they're fine after for the most part, but overall people are it fine. It takes some discussion to be fine. Take yes, some there's some therapy. There's there. some therapy that we pay for, yeah. uh, but no, it, overall it's okay. But people in the moment, you are upset because you, you work with people through, you strategize, you make plans and suddenly to be blindsided like that, it really does matter. So, and then people feel the repercussions of it, which circling back to the start of this episode when Cody and the crew says voting NECA out really sucked. Like that was really hard. Um, and so we see that in our game. And I think no matter what choice you make, those are, that's what makes survivor so fascinating is that mm -hmm. if you get to that point, if you make it far enough, you will have to come to a decision where you say like with Shannon Ricardo of a few seasons ago or whoever it is, like yeah. I, I like this person either personally, or we've just really worked well together, but I got to get them before they get me. And there's only one winner. And at the end, I'll go buy them a beer and nachos to celebrate. But for now, I'm I'm taking them out. So great question there, uh, Kel. And and thanks for bringing up some triggering comments for some of our listeners who've been the recipients of. And some of our uh, hosts as well. This <laughs> as well. <laughs> Amazing. So uh, take us back to camp here, Jordan. Yeah. So the pre-tribal dynamics, there are basically three things that happen here. The first thing is Geo is on the is the leader of get Cassidy out, which Ryan James Carla, great, we're with you. Here we go, let's do it. A thousand percent. That's the new joke. Like I'm with you. Um, we're locked in now. It's everything's a thousand percent. Cool. And then and then they give us the Geo and Cassidy. Uh, this isn't gonna work. There's there's no way this is gonna work. These two, um, Cassidy isn't a fan of Geo. Geo's not a fan of Cassidy. Um, which then Cassidy turns that around, gets the girls on her side. So Carla and um, Lindsay. Lindsay on her side, James on board too. Let's just vote Geo. So now we've gone from everyone's voting Cassidy to I'm pretty convinced everyone's just going to vote Geo because he's trying to control and they're not liking the control. And then all of a sudden the turn of the game happens, the turn of the episode happens and Lindsay's sitting there paranoid and everybody even her alliance is sitting there and everyone at home is going you're fine stop don't do this no it's all good is there a way to convince someone in this moment they are actually all good doesn't carla say it's like when your friend is wasted and you're like don't no more no more in that but they can't <laughs> you can't rationalize with them but I, I don't know the answer because I want to ask Hartley too the same thing because I, I can understand it as an audience member. It's easy to judge, but I'm, I would be paranoid. Uh, one of six people are going home and the, this is survivor where everyone lies to each other. So you've told me I'm safe, but therefore I'm not safe. Right. So yeah, Hartley, what do you think? How do, is there, how, how do players not get paranoid that early in the game? It's, it's tough, it, you know, because as you were talking about before, there's no distraction. This is your family. All you have to, all you have to do is sit and think about it. And I was watching, I watched with, um, with my wife and she kind of said, Lindsay is in the spot where if she, if it is her, then there's nothing she can do. And if it isn't her, she just needs to sit and relax. So even if Lindsay is thinking it's her and it actually is her, it almost doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So her best move is actually to do nothing because if it is her, then it's her unless she wants to try to change the tide. And I think where Lindsay went wrong is part of it was trusting the process and trusting that her alliance mates were telling her the truth. 
but I understand that in the game, everyone's lying to you. Where I think she could have done things differently is not just say, hey, everyone, reassure me that it's not me. But if you are worried it's you, then try to get a coalition to get somebody else. And her move could have been to say, okay, I'm worried it's me. I'm worried that people are lying to me. All right, Geo, Cassidy, let's get rid of Carla. Uh, I don't trust her. And like move the target to someone else because if it is you, by saying, I think it's me, I'm worried it's me, if it actually is you, isn't going to change anything. Yeah. Car- Carla Very has well an said. interesting spot where she goes, what can I do to convince you that it's not you? Right? And that's that's where the, the paranoia was crazy in this episode. And that's such a... Um, that's an interesting thing I didn't think about is what can she do? And yeah, you're right. The only, the best play, maybe not the only play, but the best play is get that go for someone else, get people on your, on your side and wanting to do that. Um, But there's gotta be like a middle ground there because you have to be aware that yes, it could be you, but also like James, I think is the one that says, trust the process, right? You're you've watched the show, you know, this happens. And again, even as I'm saying this, I know, I, I know the other side of the coin that it would just be hard. I would be, I would be, who wouldn't be paranoid? I think I'd be like Lindsay too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, and I think these are the things that you can't, this is why I wish there were two hour episodes or more every week, because take us further into the feeling of being hungry, of being tired of someone waking up, how annoying that would be. And in the same spot, like, I don't think the, until you've been there, how can you ever understand? Yeah, this is actually very, very stressful. People have yeah. told us in our survivor at home, two night online game for fun, for no money, um, that it's nerve wracking that you, when you lose a challenge and you have to go to tribal, people are sweating and they can't vote, get their thoughts together. And people are kind of paranoid and you're reading people. So I totally understand Lindsay's perspective and where she's coming from, but it's a great observation. Just that, that maybe then, okay, if it's going to be me, let's go and get someone else out. Um, Cause this is survivor. You got to play. You can't just let the game happen to you. You got to make your moves. So, yeah. So I did want to make a production note here. I don't remember. It was a quick five, five second clip, maybe 10 second clip, but I don't remember an in the moment confessional, like the one James had James yeah, where he was at the well and super frustrated. He does a confessional and then they show him walking away from it. The only other time where you see like a one-on-one close up confessional like that is if someone finds an idol but outside of that, the true confessionals where you can tell he was asked a question and he's answering a question. You, you could just get that. At least I got that feeling from that moment. But it's an in the moment. He's standing. It's not set up. He's not got all this lighting and on him and he's sitting on a rock and he's got his arm up in a like a good position looking good. He's just standing there with a one off confessional mm-hmm. answering a question. But it's in the moment. It's not he's had the perspective to think about it. He's just frustrated right now because he wants to work with Lindsay and Lindsay's in his mind. And I think in almost everyone's mind, sabotaging her own game in this moment. Yeah. Do you guys think that that is like one of the rules that they're supposed to follow that, Hey, if you have a confessional, something to share, we want you to come over here and sit down so we can get it all. Or is it, or is well, it more just, it's not wise to disclose your ramblings when you're standing by the well, cause someone might hear you. Well, so for me, I think part of it is the confessionals need to be secluded because then you can speak freely and no one's in the area. Cause at the end of the day, there could be another survivor walking up behind the cameraman or camera, camera woman who's filming him in that or, moment or Tony, right? someone could, 
or Tony could be up in the, but well, you can't prevent that. Tony's always up in the bushes. Um, that, that, that's never going to change, but there could be someone that walks by. So if you have a secluded setup confessional area, plus then you can make the sound a little bit better. And the production value is a little higher on that. Mm-hmm. That would make a player safe. I think me as a player feel safer about kind of giving you a lot of info. And I also know that that's a moment of confessional where I can, think through my thoughts, speak freely, like it's dedicated to that. It sets kind of a rhythm and a boundary um, in that. So I think there's a couple of factors that play, play into that. I don't know. What about you, Hartley, on the confessionals? Yeah. And one of the things that like you're saying that you don't get to see often is just that pure emotion confessional, because you get the pure emotion that happens when players are fighting or when there's mm-hmm. conflict and people storm away. But then there might take some time to do those setups where this was, you got to see the frustration in the moment live, which was really unique. And it's like you said, it's tough to capture that because you need to take them away from the camp and that can give it time to diffuse. Um, So there is something really interesting about getting a moment where you're just getting pure emotion, pure authentic response to something that's happening in real time. Yeah, I loved it. It was a really cool moment. And I, I agree with you, Jordan. I can't think of a time where we've seen that either. No, not not in that that way. And I think they did it twice too. You had a little mini version with Carla where you could just tell the camera shooting was different and she was standing too. But the true moment of this was uh, um, was James's confessional there. So the dynamics here are fun and we're headed into tribal and you've got three choices, right? You never actually know what they're going to do. We know what the three plans are. You've the potential to vote out Cassidy. Admittedly, we don't know much about Cassidy. She's been pretty quiet from a camera perspective. Um, I don't know if you guys have any more insight in that. I'm not sure where she sits in terms of the challenges, how how good she is at the puzzles versus physicality. Uh, I just don't have much information on her yet. Um, we haven't seen that. Then you have Geo, who Geo's okay in challenges. I think Geo sat out a challenge in this episode, actually. Um, and Geo is trying to be very controlling with the tribe. And it gives me the impression that Geo could try to control too much or bring people in or come to a point of flipping in a merge. And then you have Lindsay, who I actually, I actually think I like Lindsay, but her issue is she's become too paranoid. And the decision for me around Lindsay rests on if she survives this first tribal and doesn't get any votes on her does that calm her to move forward in the game or gets one vote on her survives it does that calm her or focus maybe not calm but focus her to to move forward and okay that's fine we're playing survivor i've got my wake-up call i've made it through or do you evaluate that she's always going to be paranoid the rest of the way through because i think if there's any shot that it focuses her or calms her you have to go with that because the unpredictability not unpredictability, but the controlling nature of Geo is not what you're seeing here is not what you want to work with moving forward necessarily mm-hmm. and weighing those options. Like, do you have any thoughts into weighing those three options of the, we don't know, controlling paranoid? I saw a lot of people criticizing this vote because of that reason of saying, Lindsay's on your side. She's on your team. So why get her out when someone like Geo is clearly trying to play the game and, and really thinking ahead and, so I, 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 I would lean that way of maybe you can make it work, but again, we don't see all that's going on. So mm-hmm. they just obviously reached a point where they said, this is too volatile. Um, but it's a big, it's a big call, like to get rid of someone who, you know, is likely going to vote with you as we've seen other tribes do already this season. 
is is pretty tough but yeah what about you harley where was your heart in this vote i i think jordan you laid it out really nicely because on the one hand i would love to believe that if Lindsay survived this then she would be solid she'd get that confidence going okay i can trust my alliance mm -hmm. and a part of me was really worried that if when she got voted out she was gonna say I told you so. Like it was going to be that self-fulfilling prophecy where it actually wasn't the self-fulfilling prophecy. You kind of created it with your paranoia. Mm -hmm. And there, but there is a world where she survives one vote and the paranoia just brews and, and bubbles. I think this is an example of what happened last night is the kind of reverse of what happened the night before with Vessie or last week with Vessie because they got rid of NECA and she was a solid number with them and they kind of sacrificed her for kind of the tribe. And I think here is the opposite. I think that getting rid of Lindsay is actually gonna hurt them. Um, and I would have, I think if I were them, the smarter move is to keep her around, at the very least keep her around this vote. And then if you lose and she's paranoid again, then you know what you're working with and you know that, okay, she is paranoid and nothing will ever satisfy her paranoia. Mm. But in a first vote where they've never voted before, if I was on the tribe, I probably would have pushed more for Geo because she is a solid ally. He is actively trying to make moves and he's shown himself as a, as a strategic player. Get rid of that threat. Mm -hmm. So to, to reverse that, moving forward, if Lindsay does come into the game and starts to make her subtle moves versus keeping someone like Geo around, you can paint Geo as the person who's being you visibly making moves and you can paint him as like, he's a threat, get rid of him. Now he's going to try and do something. He's going to be, you know, slow, not slow, like, not like a snake, but like slithering through and making moves and, and trying to do that. You can paint that on him versus Lindsay could blend in a little bit. And we see in previous seasons, blending into the crowd a little bit, isn't a bad thing to help you end up winning Erica very much. So blended in made mm -hmm. moves in the background and what if someone like Lindsay ends up doing that where Geo can be an easier vote later on in the game, maybe? Also, if Geo gets his feet under him, he could be a very difficult vote out. If you don't allow that to happen, though, then you can you can kind of move with that. But it's an interest that like, all these different things can play into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was sad to see Lindsay go here to spoil the vote that we're about to get to, but I, I, I liked her. I thought she had potential. And like you said, maybe just to get past those initial nerves and then find her footing and, and realize, because a lot of players will pass players. will see them on Twitter comment that I was like that early on. And then I found, I realized, okay, I didn't get voted out. Okay. I can, I can kind of calm down and make some more informed decisions. And she, I really liked her. I liked her take. I liked her boldness a couple of times, as I said before with uh, Cody, like confronting him directly to say, Hey, you realize this is going to get you, what this will mean if you take our machete or even there was a previous episode where uh, someone, I think it was James talked about going on his birthday. Yeah. To go and look for idols. And she was the one that outright said like, you realize what happens when people do that. Right. So I liked that about her. I liked her willingness to speak her mind and be bold. And it's just unfortunate players like that, who just got caught up on this first vote and maybe could have done a lot more, but we'll never know. So. And it's, it's interesting because I don't know if, where I'd love to know where Geo's motivation for control is coming from, because it could be coming from a similar place of paranoia, that he's worried that he is not in control, so he, he needs to take control mm -hmm. as a way to calm his own nerves. 
and Lindsay was just more vocal about it and that kind of did her in. Um, so it's interesting to think about how paranoia or how that manifests in, in gameplay. Yeah. Yeah, it's it is uh, it is fascinating the, to watch. The one other thing, just before we head into the the votes here, is I wrote down um, Carla's bothered by how paranoid Lindsay is, and I think that her being so bothered by it is also hurting the tribunity because there's not really a win coming out of it. It's we've talked about this in previous seasons. The best vote for the tribe, a first time you go to tribal council, is one unified vote, easy. And although this vote ends up being, no, it doesn't even end up being a unified vote. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that is the best thing for a tribe. And when we have this division and we were good, but now Carla's being wishy-washy because Lindsay's so paranoid, which then brings James with her, which then affects everyone else down the line. Um, it's not It's not tribe unity. Even if Lindsay survives this, Carla's got that in the back of her mind. And with Lindsay being gone, it just hurts the unity, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, and I think just uh, to comment on Harley, what you said too, the, the ability to control the game, that would be the hardest thing for many players too. Of yeah. It's just, an impo- it's like for us having young kids, it, you just cannot control everything. And as much as you want to, it just doesn't work. And there's nights like tonight where they just had a meltdown five minutes before the podcast. And I said, hey, we have Professor Jafin coming on the podcast, so please just be quiet. But you can't control it, and that's in Survivor. You can do the best you can. You can work hard. You can make good decisions. But at the end of the day, that feeling of I can't control it, right? And to be able to go in and just trust the process, as James says, that I think is just another layer to the game that would be you just wouldn't be able to express it unless you went through it. And I think that would really weigh, especially on players who come from either a workplace or a a lifestyle where they are in control, right, of their life, and to be able to go out there like blue collar, white collar, uh, that we saw in past seasons too. Like, I wonder how hard that would be for certain players to say, "I just can't do this," and that can become a form of paranoia as well. Yeah, we've talked about that in the course around what is the best, best quote unquote best profession, um, or what are kind of the personality traits that that kind of advantage you to win the game or play the game, and. You know, as you're pointing out, there are certain jobs where if you are able, if you are someone who is used to being in control, that might hurt you because in the game you can't have control. But if that's coupled with a personality that's able to go with the flow, then that could be advantageous. So it's it's that combination of what are what are your skill sets that you have professionally or vocationally, and what is your personality, mm. um, and how those two kind of blend together to kind of produce the optimal player. Mm-hmm. That's great. Can you share a secret with us? Uh, what, are, what are like one of the top one or two professions that come out of that? Or do we have to sign up for your course? <laughs> well, I mean, again, very biased, but like, because like I said, my background's in theater and I know Erica has spoken about this as well. She did Second City uh, before playing. I think being mm-hmm. an improviser or being in a job where you where you have no control, but you must perform as if you have control is is a really strong skill set to have being able to be comfortable with spontaneity and ambiguity being able to think quickly and problem solve um, on your feet while under a great deal of stress if you have that and you know for me like i do theater i I have a very niche role where i do theater within the faculty of health so i work with doctors and nurses and dentists and thinking about their roles where they are 
performing under a great deal of stress, but have to be comfortable with uncertainty because they've got no idea what a patient might toss their way. That is a role that might serve them well. Um, so I think anything where where you are able to embrace uncertainty is is a is a skill set that will benefit anyone in the game. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And I did see some of your bio, I think online too, just that that kind of work that you do. That's fascinating. And just to yeah. commend you for that, to even help healthcare workers uh, learning to adapt is significant. It really matters the way you respond to those situations, not just with what you know, but how like who you are and, and like what's going on in terms of your personality as well. So fascinating. You make a great point with Erica and even in Survivor at Home, our most recent champion of our full season was Alex Street, who himself has a long background in in theater and comes from a family of, and, and although it's a, a microcosm, he, he would identify that those things helped him even yeah. do well in survivor. So right. although Jordan, you won and you're not an actor. So I am not an actor, <laughs> but I figured out how to win it. And it worked out pretty, it worked out well for me. So we're good. That is good. Well, do you want to wrap us up here, Jordan? Uh, take yeah. us through the vote and then. Sure. Uh, so they run through tribal council. One, um, one note from it was Lindsay. It ends up being all for not because she's, she got, she gets voted out in a couple moments anyways, but some people spoke a lot. Some people didn't. She called out people without saying their name, very pointed and calculated. Um, and I wonder if that also was brought up in the process of going to the vote um, today as well. Uh, and then the vote reads Cassidy first, surprised okay what are we where are we going to go from there geo he gets surprised and then three votes for Lindsay. the fourth would have been for Lindsay as well so she gets voted out on a 411 it was always going to be a true blindside because uh, i don't think any of the three knew their name was out there um which is cool because information is key um and so for cass i don't know that cassidy knew her name was out there pretty confident geo had no idea his name was out <laughs> there and Lindsay didn't actually know her name was out there, although she thought it was, and then it did get out there because she thought it was. Um, uh, but it was always going to be a cold blind side. I'm not a big fan of the move. I think we were all pretty well in the same agreement on that. Not a big fan there. We feel like with the information we've got in front of us, um, voting out Lindsay isn't the best for tribe unity. So, uh, but that's how, that's how the episode ends up a couple teasers that give us no information about the next episode and um and we are done episode four of season 43 andrew any closing remarks here yes well i i wanted to say Lindsay, first of all heading out and not even acknowledging the tribe she obviously yes. was blindsided and hurt you could feel it just the way they produced that you fought you felt the tension uh heading out um, but i want to ask harley one more question mm -hmm. well maybe two more if that's okay before we leave as a professor uh, yourself, what would you give uh, rating using Jesse's scale one to 10? What would you give this episode? And then even the season so far, uh, one to 10 uh, on the rating scale. Episode, I would give it, I would give it a solid eight. It was a good episode. And there was a lot of, we got to see a lot of dynamics and we, and because Coco finally went to tribal council, that's always interesting to see how are they going to play strategically. Mm -hmm. The season as a whole, I would say so far it's solid. I, you know, I'd give it a, a maybe a seven because um, we're, we're getting to know the characters. We're getting to know the players. Has, it hasn't, there are certain interesting pieces that I think they're laying the groundwork for what could be a really incredible season. Uh, certainly seeing four women go in a row is, you know, sad and disappointing because that, that is something that, you know, 
speaks to kind of what happens in a six-person tribe. It's harder to hide. And mm. sometimes tribes will value what they see as quote unquote strength or traditional strength. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a so far this the season has been really solid. And I'm hopeful that they're laying the groundwork and they've done a really good job introducing the characters. And as you know, you mentioned Andrew, the first episode, you really got to know all the players in the beginning. And I think that has really made me feel connected to everyone. And even though we didn't see a lot of Lindsay, sad to see her go. And I think that's been true for the other three that we've seen get the boot. And um, I'm really hopeful that this is going to be another incredible season. Amazing. Um, one more question for you. Would you consider, or maybe one day consider, uh, sending a few of your students uh, your our way for a Survivor at home experience? Have you played like a, a short uh, mini online reality version before? So no, the closest I've had is when I was an undergrad, I played your role. I played the Jeff Probst and I ran uh, a simulation in my residence where we locked up students in the lounges for a weekend um, and had, you know, it was a hundred dollars in cash. I think is what they won. And it was, it was just survivor as, as we see it. Um, And I've actually looked into survivor home. The last one that you ran, I was going to put in, but then the dates conflicted for me. So I will promote it to my students for sure. And I will certainly be there the next time if times and dates allow. Wow. Fantastic. Wow. Well, we would love to have you Hartley. Uh, love hearing fellow super fans of Survivor local uh, Toronto area. And just again, fascinating to hear about your course surviving Survivor at McMaster University. Again, you can look that up online and as well, we'll post that in the show notes. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Hartley. This has been a blast. Uh, Jordan, thank you as well for your great uh, hosting and all of the work that you bring to this podcast, even though I make fun of you every time. And <laughs> Thank uh, you, Andrew, for the, the brains of the operation and putting all, putting all the work that you do behind the scenes as well, as well as on the mic. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, Hartley, have a great week. All the best with the rest of this course and uh, excited to see who wins Survivor 43. Absolutely. Thank you again, both for having me. It was such a pleasure to chat with you tonight. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.